This is What's the Buzz with Andrew Burkle. Yo. Check. Feeling dopamine deficient, mulling these decisions. Gotta be persistent if I want people to listen to the knowledge that I'm kicking. I know I could do it different. Rather keep my eyes locked on the truest vision. Yeah, to hell with month long right is black. I know my friends wondering is he alright or not. Make it count in the remaining amount of time I got, but find myself running out. Hey, and welcome back, everybody, to the second episode of What's the Buzz? We have former Celine baseball coach Scott Tyson coming up later but first i have to say i cannot express how thankful i am for all the positive feedback i've received the video i posted blew up on twitter and facebook people were coming up to me asking me about it and saying they liked it and i truly cannot thank everyone enough for the support the celine community is incredible and honestly when you start something you never know whether or not it's going to be well received and i am just ecstatic about how it started I really want to capture the momentum from the first episode, so please, 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 everyone follow the What's the Buzz SoundCloud page and listen to the episodes. I was super happy with how many people viewed the video on Facebook and Twitter, but in order for this project to keep growing, we need people to follow and listen to the whole podcast on SoundCloud. Anyways, this week we're breaking out some new segments, including an update on some of Celine's teams and a segment I'm calling the Off-Topic Topics with Coach Tyson. But first, this episode is presented, as always, by the Celine Post. Make sure you check out thecelinepost.com where you can find this podcast as well as all your Celine news. I personally find the upcoming events bar on the right side of the page to be super helpful. I think it's a great way to stay up to date with all the events in the community. Okay, let's get to a spring sports update. The Celine baseball team has been hot. They've won nine straight games and have outscored their opponents 64 to nine over that time period. Their record in total is 13 and three. The varsity softball team is sitting at a record of five and seven. At one point they were five and two, but have dropped five straight games. The girls soccer team currently has three wins, four losses and two ties. Their most recent result was a 1-0 win at home against Jackson High School. That's going to do it for this quick updates for the Celine sports scene. Next episode, we'll have some more in-depth coverage, but for now, I kind of just wanted to paint a little bit of the picture of the current sports scene. Okay, let's go to my interview with Coach Scott Tyson. Hey, everybody. I'm here at Celine High School with Coach Scott Tyson, somebody I've known for a very long time. Do you, uh, do you remember coaching my travel baseball team in uh, fourth grade there? Back in the day, yeah. Back Absolutely. in the day a lot, for a lot Celine, of fun. Yeah. Celine Sting back then. I uh, actually remember you got ejected from a game once. you remember that? <laughs> Unfortunately, I do, yeah. I, I didn't think that was right, but, yeah, I do remember that. It was a terrible call. The ref got a little power – or the ump got a little power hungry, I think. He wanted to uh, show him who's boss. Yeah, yeah, I probably overreacted a little bit too as well. <laughs> we all do that from time to time. All right, I'm kind of interested in how it all started for you. So let's start at the very beginning. Uh, what was your athletic career like, and did you play – you played football and baseball, right? Correct. Yeah, I played football and baseball in high school and uh, had some opportunities to play football at smaller schools after high school, but didn't want to do that. Uh, I had a passion to go to Michigan State, had some relatives that had been there, so I wanted to follow in their footsteps, but wasn't good enough to play either football or baseball at that level. So I went up there uh, with the intention of pursuing a degree in education, 
and wanted to coach all along. So it was a plan to be a coach right from the very beginning there? It absolutely was. Um, I had some people in my family try to deter me and talk me out of it <laughs> on multiple occasions. You and me both. You and me both here. So. <laughs> but uh, stuck to my guns and then um, actually took a class up there that was taught by George Perlis and some of his assistants, Nick Saban and some others, in fact. Wow. And uh, they gave me an opportunity to coach at a local high school, East Lansing High School, as a volunteer. Oh, wow. In football, of all things. And then that, that got my foot in the door. And then the next spring, they asked me to coach the JV baseball team while I was a senior at, at MSU. And I took that, and that so kind of sprung from there. So your whole time there, you were kind of focusing on coaching. Even from your junior and senior year, you were yeah. uh, dedicating a lot of your time to that. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool. And how did you what, – what was it like working with uh, Perlis and Saban there? Well, it, it wasn't – you know, we didn't work with them. We saw those guys once a week, and every week a different assistant would come in and go over mm -hmm. their positions. And uh, it, was, it was a neat experience, and it got me the contacts that I needed or wanted to, to get my foot in the door at the local high school. Uh, what was that first year like coaching JV baseball? Uh, it was eye-opening. Uh, we weren't very talented, number one, but uh, – it was difficult not knowing the kids, not, not being a teacher, and, you know, being a young kid and trying to command the respect of uh, young kids when I was only, what, 20 years old myself. So that Did you learn a young. lot from that experience then? Uh, yeah, I did. You know, I learned things that I need to stay away from and things that I need to do to kind of be a role model to them, even though I was very close in their age. I needed to carry myself like a coach should. Everyone who's taken uh, fitness for athletes in high school knows how hard you work even getting reps in during class. Uh, was your work ethic something you had all the way back, or was it something you learned, and was there a role model for how you picked up that work ethic? Uh, I, I think I grew up always smaller than anybody that I played with and competed with. Had an older brother, had an older couple of uncles, and anytime we wanted to play, I guess I had to work a little harder to stay with them, and that just kind of stuck. And that's 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 who I became, and I think it's just something that I grew up with. Uh, so sports were always a big part of your life growing oh, up, then. Absolutely, yeah. Well, what you just play around with your brother, with your brother, football, basketball, baseball. What was it? Yeah, all of those. You know, grew up with him, three years older than me, watching him play. So I wanted to do what he did, and I had an an uncle who was a high school football coach, and uh, we attended a lot of those games when I was a kid. So it was always something I enjoyed watching and wanted to be a part of. So you were the head baseball coach for 25 years, correct? Correct. How old were you when you first got it? Like in your 20s, mid-20s, right? Yeah. I had spent four years teaching and coaching in the Wild Lake School District. And then uh, from there, I came to Saline in 91. So I was 26 at the time. So how did you end up getting the head coaching position at age 26? Well, Ed Gall was the former head coach. And uh, I had spent one year as the freshman coach, my first year here as a teacher. Ed Gall retired, and uh, the job opened up. People applied, and I was fortunate enough to be the one chosen by Mr. Corona. Uh, right when you started it, was, did you try to create a culture, or was there already a pretty good baseball culture? And what were you uh, priding yourself on? And uh, you know, by the end, by the time you were done, Celine baseball was a thing that people knew. Yeah, you know, looking back, um, there wasn't a great blueprint at age 26, hey, I'm going to do this in the first five years, and then this and this will happen. It was basically we're going to do everything we can to to be the most prepared team we can be. And uh, as the years went by, things grew. We added new staff. We added new parts of the program. And it, it just became something bigger every year. Uh, but it certainly wasn't something that I had a blueprint 
at that age. How can you when you're only, you know, 25, 26? Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you went back now and I, if I took a program now and wanted to start something, I guess I'd have a lot of ideas of how I would want to do that. But at age 26, without the experience, you're just kind of flying by the seat of your pants at times. Right. Yeah. And being from Celine, you had obviously said you were at Wald Lake, you were at East Lansing for a little bit. Coming back to Celine, an area you're from, did you find it easier to connect with the kids and easier to uh, find your uh, way within the community? Uh, no, I don't think that in terms of connecting with the kids, it was any different than at the other schools. Uh, a lot of them didn't know I went to Celine, so that, that didn't matter. Um, we had some success early on in baseball. We had some good talent the first couple of years, and so things were springboarded along a little quicker than maybe I thought they could have been, and, and that was a a big bonus to my career because kids bought in. They saw we could compete uh, at the state level, and so kids were willing to put the work in. Uh, you see it all the time, and you know whether it be college basketball, college football, coaches will always say, "This first senior class, I owe everything to them." Or that first group of kids who, you know, like you said, that talented first group kind of launched you. From your perspective now, how important are those early classes and those first couple years to uh, setting the tone for a culture that you want to have go on for 25 years? Well, I think very important. Obviously, you know, laying the foundation of how you want things to be handled in the off season, the preseason, and in practices. You got to have buy-in from the kids, and, and they have to trust that you have their best interest. And I think that was aided by the fact that we were successful early on. Um, but without that, you know, that foundation of work ethic and, and how we're going to go about our business, it's sometimes an uphill battle. Getting kids to buy in, especially in high school, I think back to when I was in high school now, even just six or seven or five or six years ago here, uh, I had completely different perspective on everything. And when you're in high school, you just can't really see the big picture as well. Uh, you don't see that the, the every little day makes a, can make a huge difference. Right. So how were you able to consistently get kids who are immature, a lot of times 15, 16, 17-year-old kids, to buy into a program? Well, it, it didn't happen 100% of the time, first of all. But because of, because of the success, and I think the kids saw how hard the staff worked, and they trusted us. I think they knew that we were there for them and, and we were going to put a good product on the field and we weren't going to steer them in a the wrong direction. And that, that trust along with the confidence that, hey, we're a good program and we got to go with what Coach says, all those went together to, to create the buy-in. So I talked to you a while back when you won the state championship. Uh, and how many, how many was it that you made it to before finally winning? Uh, six. six. We won in the sixth attempt, yeah. So after uh, all those tries, how were you able to, you know, keep at it? Like, it was it something that kept you up at night, or was it something that you just, you know, out of sight, out of mind, this is the next season? Yeah. What was your mindset on that? Because I'm sure there's a lot of teams who are kind of have maybe not six, but they're, they're losing to the same team every year in the playoffs. They're losing, you know, in the semifinals every year, whatever it may be. How did you personally deal with that? Uh, well – Two ways. Number one, you know, I always pride myself on getting our teams as prepared as we can be. And if, if I'm going to be the head coach and I'm going to do it the right way and, and put everything in or two feet in the ring, as I would say. And so it as disappointing as it was losing, I, you know, I knew we were very close and we could have won some of those championship games for sure. Uh, I was at peace with it if it never had happened because I knew I had done everything I could to put this program where, where it was. Uh, but at the same time, it was 
it was always frustrating to know you were just right at the top of the mountain and just couldn't get over it. And so actually going into that last year, I knew that that was probably my last shot because my son was going to go into his junior year in college baseball and I wanted to watch him. And I knew that if I didn't resign at that point, I never was going to see, see him play like I wanted to. So it was hard to believe that we came down to that last opportunity to go there and, and we finished the deal. Do you think the kids could sense that urgency you had, that last little push? I don't think so, no. I, I certainly they never knew. We didn't mm-hmm. talk about it. Um, maybe some of the staff members, that some of the coaches knew because I had mentioned it because I wanted them to know, hey, these are some things you're going to have to get prepared for if you're in my seat next year. So mm-hmm. they knew, but the kids never were, were told. And, and in fact, they, I never announced that until probably late summer, early fall of the following year. You mentioned your staff, uh, 25 years of coaching. What did you learn about building a staff and a certain group of people and how did you uh, learn to cultivate the right group of assistants? Well, I learned that the continuity and consistency was really critical uh, from, the, from the verbiage and the terminology that you use to teach kids from ninth grade on. Whether, whatever technique it is, if you coaches know one another and use the same verbiage, teach the same drills, then that can improve their execution over time. So having coaches that were consistent year to year and not not having transition was big. Uh, in terms of keeping them, you know, I guess that gradually over time, the guys that really wanted to be there and, and work for the love of the game and being around one another, those are the ones who gravitated and were able to stay. Well, it's different in high school than, you know, say at Michigan State or at Michigan where high school, a lot, almost every one of them have – uh, teaching jobs or another job so right. it, there seems like it's harder to keep that continuity even in high school than it is in other jobs almost no I agree you, you certainly don't do it for the money in high school uh, we were fortunate that we had several teachers that loved baseball our JV coach was a longtime teacher and two varsity assistants are teachers in the district and all played the game at a high level and so we, we were kind of fortunate in that regard um, but you're right, it is difficult to keep those people around and at the high school level when they have so many other things keeping them busy. Obviously, you've coached baseball. You coached my team when I was in fourth grade. You've coached football. You've coached all types of things. What specifically about coaching high school baseball was the most difficult part for you? Uh, that's a tough question. I, I, I think the culture of travel baseball sometimes creates um, – some misleading perceptions of how good some people might be. And I think that some people didn't agree with my decisions at times, and that was frustrating because, you know, we were there to play the best kids in the games that needed to be mm-hmm. won. And uh, that was maybe mo- most frustrating was that a lot of people didn't understand or questioned and had issues with decisions that we made as a staff. And, and we certainly never wanted to do anything to hurt anybody and always wanted to promote the program. Speaking of travel baseball, it's, you know, you hear a lot about AAU basketball or uh, different levels of growing up. What do you think about the travel baseball culture as it is now? Do you think that some kids are getting burned out before they ever get to high school? Do you think that uh, the amount of games they're playing is appropriate? What do you think about the culture of travel baseball as it feeds into high school baseball? Well, first of all, I think there's a need and a place for travel baseball to kids to play at that level. Uh, I do think that the the number of teams and the number of 
tournaments, et cetera, has really been saturated and watered down. And, and I think a lot of companies and groups are in there to make a buck rather really? than to develop players mm -hmm. uh, in their running of tournaments or running an organization. Um, and I do think kids do sometimes get burned out. Um, playing 50, 60 games a year when you're 10, 12 years old is sometimes detrimental to your development and enjoyment of the game. It becomes a job. I mean, saying that out loud, 50 to 60 games a year as a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old, and that's something that's actually happening. Like, can you imagine? Like, that's just someone's entire summer. They're 10 years old. Yeah. Like, they're babies. They're little kids still, and they're, you know, I feel like they get a little burned out sometimes. Yeah, and the families have to drive places and, mm -hmm. and be at places at various times, stay in hotels and pay for that. And, and I think all those games prevents a kid from quality practice where they can develop their skills. And you, you don't get a lot of reps in a game. But yeah. in the practice, a good, a well-organized practice, you can certainly develop a lot more than several games. So you started uh, coaching at Celine in uh, what, 1991, right? Is that what you said? Correct, yeah. Uh, fall of 91, I came here and, and coached some football. And then my first baseball season was 92. Okay. It was spring. So what changed from 92 the most from when you retired in 2017? Boy, that's a difficult question. What changed the most? Um well, the summer programs and the travel was a dramatic difference. When Back in 92, we started our own summer league, and we ran kids through games with local teams in the area, and that's all we had for summer ball. Now you look at the travel scene, it's just it's a night and day difference. Uh, but I also think uh, the kids' commitment to a single sport has changed, and you see fewer kids playing multiple sports and more specialization, which I don't think is a healthy thing for the kids. You don't like specialization particularly? No, I, I don't think it's it's a great thing for a kid to, to spend 10 to 12 months out of the year on one sport. I think kids need to explore those opportunities while they have them. Uh, most every kid that walks out these doors is not going to play professional sports, and those opportunities are going to be done when they walk out of here, so they might well, want to take advantage of it. I guess that's one of the harder things about coaching high school would be that every one of the best ways to get someone to improve is the dream, right? And you have to dream, you have to have goals. But at the same time, it's kind of a reality that even if you're one of the best players, you maybe have a chance at possibly playing Division One baseball. How do you check kids' dreams and also, you know, uh, promote that you should have goals and you should try to yeah, uh, think big? A delicate balance for sure. You know, I think having goals and being realistic are, are they need to be checked in balance. Uh, but I, I think the biggest thing is having goals is good, and it's a good way to live our life, but that can't be the end-all to your reason for playing the sport. And I think sometimes we see parents even, that becomes their motivation for their kid to play, to get a scholarship or to play at the college level. And, and when it's all said and done, all that worrying and all that stress and pressure, you know, cause them to miss a lot of joy from mm -hmm. the games when they could have sat back and just – enjoyed the ride right yeah I mean how many summers are you going to you know, completely dedicate to driving around and all yeah. that type of thing uh when I talked to you for that po that story I mentioned earlier about your state championship it seemed like you were a little bit relieved but you were kind of uh okay with either way how are you feeling about the state championship now that you have won you won it and you had some time to reflect on it uh, all I can say it was a lifelong dream and to win it there was no greater feeling in my you know, coaching career, and uh, there would have been a little bit of emptiness had we not won, but I would have been okay with that, as mm -hmm. I said. 
but having won it and, and been able to experience that with the guys and the kids and the former players and the people in the town, it was uh, something I'll never forget. So fast forward to slightly past the state championship, what went into the decision to retire from coaching baseball and become the athletic director and then ultimately what uh, went from uh, leaving the athletic director position and going back to being the teacher? Well, as I said earlier, I had a son who would be a junior at uh, at Ball State, and I was. It really hit me one day. I knew I was probably going to retire because I wanted to watch him in his final two seasons, and I couldn't do that in the spring when I'm coaching. And I'm sitting in the dugout, and we were playing a Friday doubleheader, and I got a text from a buddy who was at Central Michigan watching Ball State play Central, and he just said, "Hey, Trent just hit a pinch hit grand slam to put Ball State in the lead," and it. You know, it just kind of hit me. Yeah. You know, I'm just missing so much. So, yeah, a little emotional with it. But um, from there, you know, I made that decision during that summer. That was going to be it. Uh, But I didn't want to steal from the kids' enjoyment of what they had accomplished. So I wasn't going to make anything about myself. I wasn't going to announce it then. Let that all play out throughout the summer. And the kids had to. And we all got to celebrate what we want, what we earned. Then in the fall, I got approached to take the AD job as an interim for a year and I thought you know maybe the timing is right I'm going to resign from coaching I'll try something new and uh, I had the opportunity to do it with the conditions that I could go back to teaching if I didn't like it which was a no-brainer at that point mm-hmm. so I uh, I said let's try it I resigned from baseball to watch Trent uh, took the AD job for a year found out that it, I missed the kids too much. I missed being in the classroom. I liked that day-to-day interaction. I just I kind of felt removed from the day-to-day life mm-hmm. at the school. So I went back to teach this year. And getting back, you said working with, you know, the kids is something that you it almost is like a piece of you after 25 years, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, every day, you know, on that bell schedule, going and, and doing your thing with the kids, it's just something I enjoyed, and uh, just missed it too much as AD. Uh, if you could go back and change one thing throughout, I guess, mainly in coaching career, is there anything that you would change or would, are you one of those people who kind of leaves it in the past? Yeah, I'm kind of one of those guys who let it play out and I don't think I would have changed anything. Uh, certainly there might have been some hit and runs and bunts, squeezes I would yeah. have changed. <laughs> but, uh, you know, to go back and nitpick every single decision in the game would be, would be kind of hypocritical. But uh, I don't think I would change anything in terms of my – path of career no you compiled a 698 307 and 8 career record is there any of those wins or losses that particularly stick out yeah there are you know i i remember a one to zero 13 inning loss to set that up at uh against brighton down at chelsea where we had actually had the bases loaded that game would have sent us to the semifinals of the state tournament and we had the bases loaded two times with no outs, and we couldn't score. Hmm. And we end up losing 1-0 in 13 innings. Uh, that was one that really stuck, uh, I think, the 2010 state championship game where we lost to Pioneer after we had beat them twice handily during the year was another one. Uh, but for as many of those that you know, you'd like to have back, there were probably some games that we pulled out that we maybe had no business winning or or felt fortunate to win so they balance us out so the losses stick out more to the wins than the wins you know they do i guess you know you you find errors and things you want to correct and when things go as planned they don't stick out as much unfortunately yeah that's 
kind of how it goes in life, I feel like. Yeah. Let's uh, shift gears a little bit here to a new segment. I'm going to call it the off-topic topics. Uh, questions about theoretically things that we shouldn't be discussing. So okay. uh, I got a little inside information from the athletic office that you're not really a snacker. Uh, you don't really like to eat snacks that much. But if you had to choose one snack, what would you what would you choose? Oh, I like the honey barbecue chips. That's oh, for sure. That's a good choice. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I had some uh, some of those before today. Actually, they go so good with the sandwich, don't they? Yeah, I don't like to start them sometimes because I have yeah. to eat too much. Of <laughs> the little bags are better because then Amen. you get a little more bite size. Right on. Uh, if you didn't become a baseball coach and teacher, what would you have done? Well, can I say I would have been a teacher and a football coach? <laughs> I guess. I guess. So you, yeah. you had one track mind then? Yeah, I, you know, I had, I had thought about being, you know, some sort of engineer, but uh, I enjoyed – I wanted to influence kids. I wanted to be part of a kid's lives growing up and not sit at a desk and do that sort of thing. So, What is – Nader always – my friend Nader – second shout out in two weeks on this podcast but uh he always talks about your weight room playlist uh what's your favorite couple of songs to hear on uh when in the weight room yeah you know i don't know if i have any favorites but i i like to keep the variety going because you know the kids are in there one hour a day but i'm in there three to four sometimes yeah. so hearing those things over and over so i actually had nader make me a playlist and we still use it today <laughs> you guys still use it sometimes we do he, he had to make a clean one of course of course yeah but, of course uh, yeah a lot of throwbacks on there he had a few, and uh, you know, in his day in high school, Nader made his own while he was in the weight room. And oh yeah, he kept I remember it that. We always there. used to walk back in the like the most unreliable speaker of all time. It would go yeah. in and out sometimes. We're but... updated now. We oh, got you're two updated good ones. now. Oh, yeah. oh wow, it's, it's a good system down there. Awesome. Uh, that's that's funny. What's your favorite restaurant in Celine or elsewhere? Oh, probably in Celine. I'd probably give a shout-out to Dan's Tavern and the, the old All-American Burger. Can't That's go wrong of, there. No, no. I guess I would just say I'm I'm not one to go to a real fancy kind of place. I like places where I see people I know and, mm -hmm. you know, down-to-earth type of people. And not, I don't tend to go to the upscale places too much. Uh, what is one reason that you think men, more men should go into teaching? I think kids need those role models, especially the male athletes. They need mm -hmm. male role models in their lives, and, and some of them probably in certain areas don't get as many of them at home or in their lives as they should. So to have that coach or mentor at school is something that some kids really rely on and need. I asked Coach Polka this. If you're not watching sports and you're just sitting on the couch and it's you know random night during the week, what are you, uh, what are you flipping through on TV? Well, to be honest with you, if there's not a sports show on, uh, I'm probably not watching TV. I'm outside doing something if the weather's good. Uh, otherwise, I watch this crazy show called Air Disasters, and my wife <laughs> gets a little upset because I like to watch it even when we're going on trips, and she can't understand why. Uh, but I just like watching that show. Yeah, I'm a little superstitious. If I see that on, sometimes I'll watch it, but if I'm about to go on a flight, then I kind of stay away. <laughs> right. No, yeah, I'm just hooked on it for some reason. Yeah, that's funny. Everyone's got their one show that, like, they just click through and they watch it mm -hmm. some, for some reason. Exactly. That's funny. All right, Coach, it was uh, so much, a lot of fun talking to you today. Yeah, uh, appreciate I think we learned a little here. bit I, uh, about you that we didn't know before, hopefully. So uh, thanks again for joining me, and uh, maybe we'll do it again in the future. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. That was former Celine baseball coach Scott Tyson. I hope everyone enjoyed the episode. I had a lot of fun chatting and catching up with them. Please stay tuned for more episodes in the near future. Make sure, again, to follow the What's the Buzz SoundCloud page. And, yeah, just keep your eyes peeled for the next episode. Thanks, everybody.